Okay, welcome to the Site Pen Podcast, episode number eight. This is your host, Tori Rice, and with me is a very full house of Jacob Rufa. Do you want to say hello? Hello. There you go. It's a little slow on the uptake on that. Uh, Nick Nisi. Heyo. And Paul Shannon. Hey, good to be here, Tori. And a super special guest, Ken Francaro. Hey, sup? See, I added the O's there for a reason. <laughs> that was my my reason of doing that. Uh, Ken is a site pen, um, a senior site pen engineer, um, and he is the lead and maintainer of uh, Degrid. Yep. Okay, so how's everyone doing today? Fantastic. Good. Yeah. Um, it looks like we lost Nicholas though. I'm right here. Oh, Nick. Oh. Unbelievable. Nick, you look like a spinny loading icon. Yeah, I guess that's How just you do that to yourself? That's just his thing. He's been transformed oh, well. into 8-bits. <laughs> okay, so today we are going to talk about Degrid 1.0 um, being released. We're going to talk about um, some fun stuff with symbols. Um, we're going to talk about a nice bug of the week, and then there will be some talk about meetups and conferences and why you should or maybe shouldn't go depending on things i'm still showing nick is gone i'm here i'm totally here this I is see so me. weird okay I, I see the same thing tori skype is okay weird. his audio is here. yeah well that's, that's all that matters i guess I, I like seeing his pretty face but it's not there right now <laughs> um but of course um no podcast would be complete without talking about my broken finger. So it's still broken. That's a shock. Um, it's kind of like a broken record. It is like a broken record. Yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely right. So I went to the doctor after all that time, found out that it was broken, and they scheduled me to see a specialist. And when they did that, it turns out that they meant they wanted me to see the specialist like right that like day or in the next day. But the scheduler didn't know that, so she scheduled it for about four weeks out as a normal follow-up. <clears throat> so when I saw the specialist for the follow-up, they looked at my finger and looked at the x-ray and said, why haven't you been splinting your finger? And I said, oh, I have. They splinted it. And she's like, that's not the correct way to splint it. What are you talking about? You're supposed, you should have seen us like right away. So we finally figured out that someone dropped the ball, and I should have been seen by a specialist who would splint it the proper way to make it heal. So the nine weeks or ten weeks I did of splinting it and, and fixing it myself and all that stuff was completely pointless. Um, so now I've got another six to eight weeks to go before this tiny little um, tendon that ripped part of the bone off is healed. So it's really fun. They didn't have to break it again or anything, did they, Tori? Uh, no, they. we talked about that a little bit, um, and basically my options were you could do surgery, but why? There's too much complication. Like it's a 20-degree bend at the tip of your pinky finger. Like who cares? And then I could um, splint it for six weeks, which might not even work, or just live with a bent finger. So I figured since either way I could end up with a bent finger, I should go with the splinting and just see. Anyway, I know that everyone's super excited to hear this, and this is why they tune into the show, but I just felt like I really needed to get that off my chest, that uh, you should really make sure you ask questions of the doctor and not just blindly do what they say, because that's what I did. And I have a, I have a possibly permanently bent finger as a, as a, uh, as a result. So my, my days of hand modeling are probably over. Maybe, um, the, uh, so. maybe the bent finger will give new abilities to you. Maybe it's like a, your origin story. So. It should be my origin story. That's a great idea. Okay. Oh, it'll give you. It'll give you plenty of pull my finger jokes. That's bad. <laughs> there you go. Well, see, there's there's always a reason for everything, right? That's what they say. It's a reason for everything. Well, that's there it is. Um. <laughs> wow. So today, let's get right into things. Here, we got a big big show. Um. So we're gonna start with the spotlight on. Symbols. Paul Shannon, right. take it away, buddy. So, um, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about symbols. Uh, they're coming up in ECMAScript 6 and someday in browsers. Um, this is not something that's super polyfillable, so it's up to the browsers to actually implement them. But um, symbols are a, a new primitive type, and 
Um, what that means is they're like strings or numbers or, or anything else like that. Um, they are unique and immutable. Uh, so you, you create a symbol using um, a call to the symbol function and it creates a new symbol for you. Or you can use uh, some of the well-known symbols that we'll go over later, but each of these symbols are unique in their own. So you, you can't, um, you can create a symbol on something and it won't collide with another symbol that's created. Unlike strings, you can create a string that has the same name as another string and all sorts of heck just happens. My friend would like to know what a symbol actually, when you say a symbol, are you talking about like an emoji or are you talking about like a string of text that's just called a symbol? It's, it's a new, like it's a, a new type in, in JavaScript for, for, for ES6. And in order to create one, um, you, you call the symbol function and it'll create a new symbol for you and hand it off. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like this new magic thing that you create. You out of, now you're talking you know, magic. This is, like yeah. It. Just got to like, we got to fifth grade it. Um, it's this new like magic thing that uh, creates this unique little placeholder. And when you have it, you can assign it to uh, objects in, instead of a string, for instance, as a key to a property. And when these things are created, you know they're not gonna you're you know you're not gonna um, collide with anything else because they're unique. And you know they're never gonna change because they're immutable. So you can use them for all sorts of things. You can use them as as key properties to objects um, that define behaviors, which is what uh, ECMAScript uh, six and JavaScript are using them for. So for instance, um, there are a bunch of built-in symbols that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a bunch of built-in symbols that take care of uh, behavioral things now that you weren't able to get into before. Um, one of the new behaviors is uh, iteration. So you have an iterable symbol and what you do is you define a function for iterable and then anything that is recognized by the language as iterable, we use your function that you've created in your iterable symbol. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can get into with symbols, and, and we don't have enough time to go over everything. But um, well, we technically do. Yeah, this but will... we won't. <laughs> I so yeah, I've been. I don't know if we do. I've been working on um, symbols for workshops and things like that, and I'm just trying to keep the number of slides down from being like insane. Um, nice. There's something like 13 to 16 symbols. Uh, there's a bunch that change how regex works and how strings work with regex. There's iteration. There's changes to um, how how classes are identified. So you can, um, for instance, over uh, extend an array in ES6, and then when you create new instances of that array through map and other things like that, you can define your species. Um, symbol to return an array rather than um, something like your your extension of your array or, or other things like that. So there's lots of crazy things you can do with symbols. We could be talking for like hours about it. But so why are they called symbols? Like it just seems like such an odd name for what it is. I think I think it's because it's symbolic of behavior. And oh, okay. They were they were going for something that wasn't really used currently and, and symbols kind of fit in well. There's other languages that have the concept of symbols and um, even Mozilla used um, standard types of symbols with their double underscore uh, parameters and things like that. And so this is, is an evolution of that for JavaScript. But symbols tend to be, yeah, symbolic of behaviors and symbolic of, of um, things that either exist in the language or if you create your own, they're, they should be symbolic of, of behaviors in mix-ins or behaviors in, in things that you wouldn't want to collide with, with something else. If you have a bunch of mix-ins, you may want to have uh, methods in there that, that don't collide with anything else. Um, and so symbols are a great way of doing that. Now, they also do a bunch of other crazy things, like they cross realms and things like that. So you can use symbols across iframes and a whole bunch of other stuff that we just, I don't think we can get into either. Um, but we can talk about later in depth. So oh, you said, that sounds like very dangerous ideas. You mentioned across iframes. Sorry, I think Nick was going to say something. It's okay. <laughs> no, just talk over Nick. You're a guest here. You're <laughs> yeah, you're to do. Uh, well, actually, my my question was going to be like, I mean, I definitely have very limited exposure to symbols at this point. But like, I get the impression. 
I, I do remember when I was working on either Dojo Core, probably Dojo Core, um, something came up once about how, like, we had implemented something a certain way, but then symbols could throw a wrench into the works if someone did something really weird with them. And so, like, one of the things in my mind is how, like, is are, are there ways in which to avoid shooting yourself in the foot in terms of, you know, like, you, using symbols responsibly some ways versus not using them some other ways? Or, like, are there ways that symbols can effectively make it kind of harder to reason about your code? Because that's what I would be afraid of. <coughs> well, since symbols are new, overuse of them might be a little bit crazy. But symbols are good um, in a couple ways. Uh, again, you can have... <coughs> excuse me. You can have um, a framework that's defined that uses symbols in some way um, to to define the behaviors oh, yeah. of your framework. So, for instance, for Digit, if we were to create factories that built everything, we could create a symbol called draw, and that symbol was called uh, the draw symbols used whenever you wanted to draw things into the frame. Um, or if you're going to use it on a canvas or something like that, maybe canvas is a is a more apt description, but that symbol then it would be created specifically for that framework and nobody else would be able to create a symbol called draw. The only way of using that symbol would be to, to link directly to that single instance of the symbol created in the framework. So um, in that way, if somebody were to mix in your widget or your, your drawable into something else that they were doing, it wouldn't collide and your framework would still be able to call that, that draw method. Um, if you were to use draw as a, a string um, key for your for your object that's drawable, anybody could override it with a mix-in and then just mess it all up. So there's a certain amount of control over the behavior of, of methods that symbols provide. Um, and then if you also want to use them, you can use them as, as unique identifiers. So if you wanted IDs on everything, um, and they're, they're unique, they're guaranteed to be unique, so there's never going to be a collision. You don't need to create your, your number that upcounts uh, your your number singleton that up counts from zero to to create you know unique IDs. The the caveat with that is um, symbols are not serializable. So if you're using a symbol as an identifier, it's it's actually more clear to developers that that symbol is never going to be serialized across the line, and you're only using it locally in your own um, own frameworks and own um, uh, own application. Does that make sense? That sounds really neat. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot. Of, it certainly sounds like it goes a long way towards avoiding like namespace collision type things. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So you've so been... a way that you could. Oh, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> so it's a way that you could um, kind of have private properties in a way because nobody else would really know how to access them. Is that not kind of make sense? Not quite. Um, you're you know, wrong, you can, sir. Sorry. You know how object you can use object get properties or something like that. If I can something some mm -hmm. function on object, there's another one for symbol. You can get all the symbols on an object. So they're not, um, they're they're hidden from developers right now. But as things become more um, more common to use symbols, it'll be natural to to look up stuff like that. I see. Okay. And uh, so. Paul, you said that you have been doing this as part of, you've been learning about this and uh, not learning about it, but you know, writing um, about it in the um, TypeScript and ES6 workshop that you were working on. Yes. Is that right? That's been fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, I never do any plugs of anything that we do here, but if you're very <laughs> interested in, um, in, in these topics, these spotlight topics, um, you know, like, like we said, we offer um, TypeScript and ES6 workshops. Um, Dojo workshops as well, and you can just go to sitepen.com and look at our workshops and uh, you know check it out uh, because it's it's very very informative stuff and it's hands on. So it might be kind of more abstract to talk about it here, but when you see the code and, and see the stuff, it, it makes things a lot clearer. There's All actually right, yeah, there's actually not a lot of description out there for some of the symbols, like the regex symbols. There's nothing out there that really justifies them. But uh, I think you have to use a regex to, to get the the description and that might be why you probably just wrote it wrong oh yeah misplaced like, parenthesis it's it's common like that <laughs> happens um all the time cool thanks <laughs> so go cough over there in the corner and now we are going to bring in ken to tell us the exciting about the exciting news not that um ie10 is done 
Um, but that D grid has, after many years, um, made it to 1.0. Yep. See, this is again where sound effects yeah. would come in. I could do like cheering. Yeah, I get like uh, those party noisemaker sounds yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, I am just failing but, at everything here. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Do we have a soundboard for these things yet? We, need to we will. We will eventually. <laughs> I remember about 10 minutes before we start recording the podcast every day that I should do that. Uh, oh, well. Um, so, can we, we before. We also have sad trombone. Go ahead. Before we uh, start with the exciting news, can we get a simple summary of what Degrid is, in case somebody doesn't know? Oh, sure. For those uninitiated completely. Um, and that's good anyway, because it will give us a bit of perspective for talking about things. Um, Degrid is a data grid component, which, I mean, okay, that doesn't explain much yet, but um, a, lo- a lot of enterprise applications... Um, end up uh, drawing people to certain libraries because they need like table-based tabular data grids basically where you've got you know an arrangement of rows and columns where usually your columns are your uh, fields of data from your items and your rows are you know the each row represents an item in your data set Um, and so um, historically there have been tons of different grid components. I mean, XJS had one. Dojo obviously had one since like 1.0 or thereabouts. Um, and the way that Dgrid came about was basically the one that was in Dojo X. Um, the grid itself predated considerations like the Dojo data or Dojo store APIs. Um, it predated, and therefore it predated considerations like asynchronously obtaining data. Um, it also did a lot of inline styling um, and, you know, rendering things with a inner HTML. And basically, the all of the stuff like stores and whatnot were tacked onto Dojo X data grid as kind of an afterthought. And so, once Dojo 1.7 started coming around, which was the big switch to AMD, and also provided new APIs like Dojo One, which made it really easy to do event delegations and stuff like that. And Dojo Store had already come to be as of Dojo 1.6 at that point, um, we, you know, I, I say we, we meaning SitePen slash Dojo community because really I wasn't involved, uh, I, I wasn't at SitePen when Dgrid was first created, um, but but SitePen, uh, especially a couple people like Chris Ipe and Brian Forbes uh, started collectively looking at, you know, what would it be like if we were to experiment with a uh, a data grid component based on you know more modern best practices like m- taking advantage of event delegation, baking in um, the you know cognizance of of be- being being aware of you know the things like stores and asynchronous APIs and stuff like that, um, and so that's really where Dgrid kind of got its start. Um, I've been the maintainer of it for uh, by now probably over three years. I've kind of lost count. Um, uh, I think 0.3 was the first big release uh, that I saw, um, and then Dgrid 0.4 ended up coming about with, along with DStore, which again um, Chris Zipe, uh did a lot of work on, along with um, Brandon Payton and a few others. Um, and 0.4 was a big deal, largely because of DStore, which kind of went on to address certain pain points that we had with the Doja Store APIs. But Dgrid 1.0. Um, you could argue doesn't look like as big of a step as 0.4, and I, I, I'm sure I've had people come to me in the community saying like, gee, why didn't you just call 0.4 1.0? I was one well, of those people. Of answer, yeah, part, part of the answer to that is I'm a stubborn perfectionist, and eventually, you know, it took me a while to realize that, you know, no 1.0 is going to be perfect. Um, and part, part of what kind of makes me realize that is, you know, again, like I said, historically, there's lots of grid components out there. You know, obviously, we work on ones that are based on Dojo, but there's plenty of ones based on jQuery. There's ones that are meant to interoperate with Angular and stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, and just to take and, a step back, if you're looking yep. for a Dgrid, I mean, um, Dgrid 0.5 or 0.6, they don't exist because we finally, I guess, convinced Ken that it was time <laughs> because I believe yeah. it was about a year, year and a half ago that Colin Snover and I were trying to convince Ken that 0.4 should just be 1.0 um, because it, it was very mature. It was very good, um, yeah. especially compared to so many of the other grid components. And, exactly. you know, I think Ken's perfectionism, it's, it turns out that 
if you give a grid component to um, 10,000 developers, they will do 10,000 different things with it and find 100,000 different edge cases and things you never considered and ways of interaction that you know this component and that component working together that you would have never considered oh look now there's tons of edge cases there's so many permutations of it that um you know i think that you see the bug list you're like oh my gosh you're freaking out but you know the 90 percent case that that most people do it's you know it's a brilliant solution um and so you know working on that other part you know he felt okay 0.4 is what it is and now here we are um fast forwarding to 1.0 Yeah, and I mean, like, obviously last year we were also focused on, you know, getting Dojo 2 started. More on that in a bit, because it will tie into Degrid's future as well. Um, but, you know, like, there's still stuff I would like to see refactored in Degrid, but like Tori said, you know, there's already so much. When you, when you really back up and look at, you know, the amount of people that are successfully using it, and, you know, we've been using it, we and other people have been using it in production apps for years at this point, it's really been serving us very well. And, you know, we've also, a, a few people on the team have had experiences with other grids where, you know, they'll be like, wow, hmm. I wish that I could do this as easily here as I did with Degrid. Or, I, you know, oh, I'm glad Degrid doesn't, you know, do this thing with inline styles and, and stuff like that. Um, where, you know, it really does, you know, like Degrid really does help you be productive too. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was basically high time to, you know, basically say, look, we are proud of we we have plenty to be proud of in this thing and let's call it. Um, with with that being said, I suppose I should mention okay what is actually new in 1.0 and we've basically got uh, a few high level line items. Um, first of all, we reduced the amount of dependencies it has. Um, those who have used Dgrid um, are probably familiar with the names of the projects Put Selector and XStyle. Um, Put Selector is an alternative DOM library which is very quick to write things, but in our experience can be a lot harder to read later, um, and don't do um, that. I love the put selector. Don't, don't just, there there yeah. are people who love it. <laughs> you just need to know the hieroglyphics and how, how it yes. pans out. <laughs> are we going backwards for most JavaScript projects because we've removed dependencies instead of adding them? That seems like we're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of funny that you say that too, because like a lot of times. You know, th- there is this huge disconnect because you'll you'll see a lot of people dwell on the no- number of dependencies of projects when they're like actually looking at what they need to load something in the browser and stuff, um, and they also might not even take into consideration that they don't need to load everything in every single one of those projects. It's just some modules here and there, but they just look at the number of dependencies and they're like, oh my god. Um, meanwhile, over in Node land, you know, you could npm install the entire internet five times and people won't bat an eye. You have to actually, um, because of just the dependencies, <laughs> you actually have to install yeah. the internet five times. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, put selector, um, I, I actually sort of basically over Christmas break after we tagged 0.4 a year ago. Um, out of a bit of morbid curiosity, I started experimenting with, okay, what would happen if I put DOM construct from Dojo in here instead? And when you consider that the majority of people who are using Dgrid are using Dojo already and already have that dependency, you know, it turns out that you're kind of shedding some weight by getting rid of this other dependency on this other DOM library. Um, and then with XStyle, the thing that we mainly used XStyle for was dynamically loading CSS. Um, it had a CSS AMD plugin. Um, which allowed you to basically express CSS dependencies just like you would express module dependencies, which is a really cool idea. Um, So I I definitely don't fault it for that. Um, Unfortunately, it kind of makes your build process more complicated if you want to ensure that those dynamically injected CSS dependencies also get optimized the same as everything else. Um, And in Degrid's case, because it has so little in the way of structural styles outside of its core anyway, um, you weren't necessarily saving anything by um, loading styles one component at a time because well sure you're shedding the weight of these few other extra components but then you're adding the weight of the x style code that's needed for the injector so it ended up being kind of a toss-up all right let's Um, hit the next points quicker that was that was one (laughs) line item there's more let's continue (laughs) so those those are really the big things taking those out um the removal of XStyle kind of segued naturally into use to integrating a CSS preprocessor with Dgrid, um, because before now it just had everything in CSS. But because some people might still want to have more control over what components they load, 
um, the CSS for. We're using stylus now for uh, pre-processing the CSS. And so the stylus is still organized by component. Um, and in addition, the skins for dgrid have been refactored so that it is very easy to create um, a new skin just by specifying a bunch of variables and then loading one central skin.style file. Um, and actually, the flat theme, which is in the works to uh, coincide with Doja 1.11, uh, is actually making use of that new structure in the dgrid CSS, so it made creating that flat skin for dgrid a lot easier. Um, other than those big things, we're also saying goodbye to IE8 Aww. pretty much officially. Yes. <laughs> um, like, like Tori mentioned before, um, some of you may have already seen the news that Microsoft is now um, putting its foot down and saying that they are only supporting the most recent IE on each supported OS. Um, I think on Vista that is actually still IE10, but IE8 and IE9 basically go bye-bye. It's a good thing no one uses um, Vista. Yeah, right. That's, that's There's the like other 10 thing. people like, out there that are affected by this. Right. So <laughs> and they're effectively, all furious. Yeah. <laughs> they've probably been furious for a while. Let's be they fair. would write a complaint um, on the internet, but the browser would crash. So <laughs> fortunately, they can't. But um, yeah, so that's, that's basically the... Um, the last thing there. Um, there are new dstore releases to coincide with dgrid 1.0 um, to fix a few APIs that were supposed to always return promises, but weren't always. Um, and there is also, if you're a little afraid, honestly, the transition from 0.4 to 1.0 should be really easy. You basically have to make sure you're referencing dgrid.css yourself, and otherwise, you should be pretty much golden. Um, unless you're using a couple of old, old APIs that are documented in the release notes as no longer being a thing. Um, but if you're really scared uh, of upgrading straight to 1.0, there is also a 0.4.1. Both 0.4.1 and 1.0 have a bunch of fixes and refinements to things, you know, since 0.4 was released. So both of those are out there, along with dstore 1.1.1 and 1.0.3. Again, you can pick up either of those. Um, and pick them up and have a ball. You can pick them up at dgrid.io or your local Best Buy, I think has a CD available <laughs> if you need to. Um, Funny story. I was at Best Buy doing holiday shopping and I asked them to look oh, for something. Y yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Keeping them alive. Uh, I asked them to look for something. And so we went over to one of their, con their, their machines, not the ones that they're selling. And it was running Windows XP and some uh -oh. terrible version of IE. I just and loading laughed. up their private fake bestbuy.com. Right. Luckily they got <laughs> their own support so they're good. Yeah, they just That's you know true. what? They just get the geek squad whenever anything breaks <laughs> and uh it works out. So I will say that Dgrid is a project that I was working with uh before I joined SitePen. Uh, at this other company I was at, and it's one of the reasons that I looked at SitePen when I was looking for a new job, uh, because I really enjoyed it. It's one of the best ones that I've ever used uh, for, you know, creating tables with a with a bunch of with a bunch of data, and um, yeah, so it's it's a really cool project. Yeah. So I what's, agree with you, what's Nick. in store? What's in store for the future? Now that we've got to 1.0, yeah. now what? Now what? Well, uh, as I alluded to earlier, um, obviously we're also trying to make Dojo 2 a thing. And so eventually the goal is for Dgrid to, you know, sort of harmonize with the Dojo 2. To be clear, we're not trying story. to make it a thing. We are actively making it a thing. <clears throat> you know. It's just the way we're, Ken we're, talks. We're getting there. We're, we're, you know, there's only so much time in a week. That's right. <laughs> but I mean, there is a lot of, there's actually a lot of stuff happening right now that's uh, yeah. making me very hopeful about where we're going to be, you know, in a couple of months on yeah. that. Yeah. And actually, I mean, part of the reason that, you know, I had less time on Dgrid was because I was also helping out with the Doja 2 DOM package, which I actually do feel pretty good about. Um, we do, we have a few packages that are already looking to be in pretty solid shape, but there's also plenty of brainstorming going on. Um, and part of that brainstorming does have a lot to do with Dgrid 2 and what its dependencies will be. So there's a couple of big pieces of the Dgrid story that relies on stuff outside of Dgrid itself. One of those is obviously the data APIs. So right now, you know, previously we had Doja Store. Now we have Dstore. Um, 
we, we still want to keep thinking about where we want to go in terms of data APIs because, you know, now you get a lot of people that are attracted to these frameworks that do, you know, virtual DOM and, and diffing of, you know, the two sides and stuff like that. Um, and so one of the things is we want to see, we, we want to try to, you know, sit back and figure out what approach makes the most sense. And like one of, I guess you could consider one of Degrid's so-called quote-unquote weaknesses right now the fact that both Dgrid and DStore really operate on an entire object level. So even if like one property in an object changes, you're going to be re-rendering the entire row. Now, Dgrid 1.0 actually adds a method called refresh cell, which allows you, if you want to, to directly refresh a single cell in a row without redrawing the entire thing. However, there's nothing bridging that to the DStore end, so you kind of have to hook that up specifically if you want it right now. Um, so that's definitely one sort of thing that we're interested in. Um, now, Dojo 2, obviously also using TypeScript. Um, Dgrid right now is still in JavaScript land. Um, so we will want to eventually, you know, consider um, bringing this into the TypeScript world along with Dojo 2. And to do that, we're probably going to consider basically adopting features and rewriting it in TypeScript. Um, we're not going to, with DStore, we originally were experimenting with basically doing a piecemeal line-by-line -line conversion. Um, the thing with Dgrid is I expect us to have um, a lot more opinions and influences and sort of lessons learned from what's there right now and, you know, the experiences we've had with pieces of it interoperating in terms of what makes sense for the APIs going forward. Um, so I feel like doing a line-by-line -line conversion would probably be more effort than it's worth versus, you know, kind of taking a more um, holistic approach to figuring out, okay, what are the, you know, let's take the good parts and figure out what, what you know, what way makes sense to fit them in here. Um, I suppose another thing that is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds is, and actually we've gotten a few requests for lately, is... Um, Dgrid interoperating with other frameworks out there, because obviously Dojo is not the only tool on the block. Um, you know, a lot of people are using Angular, a lot of people are using React, so on and so forth. Um, we have been um, looking at um, the possibility of writing like adapters to kind of make it easier to integrate Dgrid with stuff like Angular. I mean, there's there's not necessarily anything stopping you from using it. It's just that when you're talking about frameworks, they have a particular way of doing things, you know, that fits into their model. Um, and so you don't really want to have to break out of their model and do something completely different and practically speak another language, which you would have to do for Dgrid because you'd have to, you know, use AMD require and you'd have to use declare to piece together your mix-ins and, you know, bring a store into it and this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, we, we want to try to accommodate people using these other frameworks eventually uh, so that we can meet them halfway and they don't necessarily have to think outside of the terms that they're familiar with per se. Um, another thing that kind of makes people using these other frameworks wary is, again, when I alluded to before, the, the, the whole dependency situation. Um, a lot of people think, well, that uses Dojo and we don't want to have to load all of Dojo. And, and well, Obviously, one answer to that is you don't have to load all of Dojo. You only have to load parts of it that Dgrid actually needs. But um, suffice to say, um, once we, you know, migrate to basing Dgrid 2 on Dojo 2, it's, it's likely that those dependencies will become smaller because they're more focused. Whereas Dojo 1, you know, you've got the entire Dojo package, which has a lot of stuff in it, which we don't need. So, yes, you would have to actually download all of that for the sake of at least you know, deploying during development and building. Whereas Dojo 2, you've got the more focused core package, you've got the DOM package, which just has pretty specific things in it. Um, so that should improve that situation. But the build step makes um, all that nasty so stuff go away, right, Ken? It, yeah, ostensibly with a custom build, you would end up loading only the JavaScript that is actually relevant to the code that you're using, you know, to your actual application. You would basically start with your app, your apps ideally would have a main entry point and then the build would figure out the dependencies from there and you would end up just loading that and it would be a single file and then your localization resource. Well, and it's funny because I, I know that, you know, we've probably talked about before, but just that initially so many people had such backlash against Dojo for its builds, you know, that, that there's this build step. 
And, you know, I think that a few years <laughs> ago, that was like, people were freaking out about that. I just didn't want to use it. Like, hey, I just like load jQuery and I just use it, blah, blah, blah. And now like, oh, now that you're building real big applications, suddenly you're using all these tools with these build steps and all these build tools are out there. And it's like, yeah, so that is a good thing. Um, so there really isn't a good reason anymore that... It's like, well, you know, I have to use these dependencies because you're already using tools that have tons of dependencies. And if you, you know, if you just set it up in your project like you would any other tool, um, you know, you strip away the stuff that you don't need and, and you keep the stuff that you do and, and that's what you ship with. Um, you know, the build step thing becomes much less of an issue than, than it used to be to some people at least. Yeah, I was actually lamenting on Twitter last night that, you know, rem remember back when the quote F5 is your build step was a thing and that largely drew a lot of people to front end development. <laughs> yeah, that, so it, it seems like some modern build tool chains seem to kind of forget that origin. <laughs> well, cool. I'm like, looking we'll forward to <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to um to uh, well, Degrid 1.0 is really awesome, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to do with uh, with 2.0. It's going to be really cool. Yep. Okay. Oh, can I give a couple of shout-outs to people who really helped Degrid 1.0 be a thing? Yeah, you can. I might cut them um, in editing, but go ahead. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd just like to thank uh, Ed Hager and uh, Bradley Meyer who and Mangala Kalsa, who, who all had um, lots of input and contributions towards 1.0. And I didn't change the color scheme on the website for 1.0, so you're welcome. <laughs> so there's that. Okay. Thanks, Ken. Um, so let's move on now back to Paul for our bug of the week. Hey. So I had this really nasty bug of the week um, a few weeks back now. We've been trying to, to get it in, but... Um, basically a support ticket came in that drop down buttons weren't working correctly on, on Chrome and a whole bunch of Chrome mobile browsers. And, uh, without much detail, we kind of had to figure out what was going on. And, uh, initially it worked, it worked fine on, uh, on our stuff and, and all of our tests were, looked good and, and it took a while to kind of track down, but we ended up finding out that when you would pinch to zoom on on a, a drop down or a button, a drop down button, um, which is a widget, a digit widget, that it would be misplaced or not appear at all. And so we were like, well, what the heck is going on here? And we looked through the code and we looked through the numbers and, and lo and behold, the numbers um, and the values being returned about um, the location of things was off, especially when the, the scrolling numbers. So just a little bit of background, when you, when you place a drop down uh, next to a button in digit, it tries to determine um, what the offset is from the top of your document based on what your scroll position is and um, any any kind of other things that relate to that. So from the top of the document, it tries to figure out, oh, are they scrolled? And uh, what's the offset from there? And so we couldn't figure out why this these numbers were coming out wrong, especially the scroll position. And it traces all the way back to a Chromium bug in Chromium 45 um, that the element get bounding client rectangle um, returns values that are relative to the layout viewport, which is normally your document. The element.scroll left returns values that relate to the visual viewport which is what you actually see on your screen and how you're scrolled over. So when you're pinched to zoom, it will return a scrolled offset viewport that has no relation to anything you can possibly do in the, in, with the DOM or anything like that. So when we were, we were using that value to place um, uh, an offset in an absolutely, value, an absolutely positioned uh, dialogue that's, that relates to a dropdown, our numbers were off because there was scrolling um, on a pinched zoom area and not uh, not at all in the document. So the good news is that um, Chrome is going to fix this in Chrome 48. So when Chrome 48 comes out, everything will be happy again. Um, you don't have to do anything. And then what we recommended to our, our support client was that 
Uh, mobile is, is greatly different than desktop. So drop down stuff on buttons and things like that don't work as well as having custom widgets that pop up full screen, just like, you know, all of your, all of your Google dialogues and things like that. So if you have a drop down, um, consider detecting screen resolution or if they're on mobile and then just put that into a separate widget that takes up the screen, uh, receives input and then closes again. So anyway, that was the bug of the week. So any way to like detect the screen zoom and, you know, do something based on that. If, uh, if that's an issue there, uh, there are some crazy steps, um, that if you look on the Chromium, uh, Chromium site, we, we can put it in the show notes where the bugs are and everything. Um, there are some crazy steps you can do. I think there's something about putting on an iframe or doing something weird. Uh, you basically, you have to edit your document in order to do it, which you may not want to do. I definitely don't want to edit their documents. Yeah. <laughs> you guys do it. Or you could just wait. You just sit on sit on your butt and wait till 48 comes out and you're good. I like that idea too. That's the best. Totally. Just like, just chill. Netflix and chill. <laughs> <laughs> Watch some Making a Murderer. Um, cool. Thanks. Jacob controversial topic time it's controversial <gasps> about meetups this is where i'm gonna go like the <laughs> you you've got nothing. two meetup organizers here the... who said who said controversial haha <laughs> i think see? you meant ie and chill I, i'm basically i'm i'm basically just a prosecutor now and making a murderer ah <laughs> <laughs> who said anything about Spoilers. controversial <laughs> i think ie and chill is controversial <laughs> <laughs> i think that um the the cops in that place use ie six <laughs> yeah so uh meetups and conferences um it's like important and stuff so um i don't know as a meetup organizer i feel some sort of responsibility to promote meetups just in general because it's as a developer it's one of the best ways that i have found of learning uh what other people what other developers are doing besides and, this podcast you mean Aside from this podcast, aside from this podcast, that's a great way to do it. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's good to be able to keep the pulse of uh, not only your local developer community but of uh, the the larger developer community because chances are other developers near you are experimenting with technologies that you might not have used yet but have heard about, and vice versa. Um, so at, at meetups, you get a chance to to meet with other developers and you know kind of talk shop. Um, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's great for for continuing education as a as a developer. Um, yeah, I, I guess you answered that. But I was going to say, why is it important? I work from home for a reason, <laughs> and that reason is he hates people. Well, so convince your local meetup to have pizza that night, and then you'd have a reason to go. Um, That's yeah, or lobster. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so it's it's not for everybody. Um, I mean. Out of all the developers in my area, I think we get maybe a fifth to a quarter of them out to our web developer meetup every month, um, and and that's because you know people have a life; they have other interests outside of that. Uh, I happen to be uh, one without very a life. I, what? <laughs> oh man! Really? Well, where do you live? What's you said? Where you live? Where is that? Uh, yeah. So I live in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, it's a, yeah. No one's ever heard of that place. I, yeah, I know. It's terrible. I've um, heard terrible things about it. Yeah, you know, it's been on a couple of lists as you know some of the the best uh, places to live if in you, the world. Wait, the worst uh, is that in Manitowoc County? Is that it is right? in Manitowoc County? Yes. What? Okay. Right. What's Manitowoc it, County? Yeah, exactly. You, Are you talking about making a murderer again? Is this I, just I heard, yeah. It's yeah. a making murderer reference, which it we is. have no idea. Jeez. Yeah. It I, might I as well be, no though. It's, it's a, yeah. You're like outside of Chicago, right? Yeah, so like Rockford's like an hour and a half from Chicago, from Milwaukee, from Madison, from the Quad Cities. We're kind of equidistant from everywhere cool. And, and as Yeah, that such, makes sense. You're like in, in that, a vacuum. Yeah, you're in that um, middle point where no gravitational pull exists. Like yeah, geostationary, I mean, but it's but it's good because over the last few years we've really grown there's a solid developer there. community. Here. There's eight of them. <laughs> Somebody gets a quarter. There's two. Yeah, I can't. I can't do math well. We get a, we get about twenty out to a, a meetup on average. So that's decent. Small, small town size, right? 
Um, large enough, though, that, that we can pull each other for, for questions about workflow, frameworks, um, just different techniques for solving problems. Um, Does everybody know. give a different response to the frameworks question every month? A lot of people <laughs> around here use yes. PHP. Whoa. Oh, okay. Wow. Like, Back I, town. I'm like the JavaScript guy in town. I'm, <laughs> I'm totally nuts for JavaScript, and everybody's like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's cool because... I get to present them with mind-boggling stuff all the time, and they're like, "Wow, I didn't know you could do this with JavaScript." Like, all right, yeah, of course, like, of course you can. You know, you've been poo-pooing it this whole time, and I've been over here doing cool stuff. It's amazing so, what you can do over in client-side browser land without a reload. <laughs> F5 is my reload built. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah. In any I event, see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, so. It's it's just it's I I feel like it isn't for everybody to to get back to your question Nick it isn't for everybody but if you're somebody who who enjoys development not just as a profession but as a hobby uh, as as something that you find interesting outside of work as well um, it's a good way to kind of stretch your legs and 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 learn new stuff. Are there other benefits to it besides feeding my my hobby addiction, um, other professional benefits to it? Um, yeah, there's a lot of networking opportunities, not just at meetups, uh, in, in your own area, but, uh, I would, I would encourage anybody listening in, um, to check out what meetups exist in your area as well as within like an hour and a half radius. And if you can find a few, um, maybe suggest to other developer friends, you know, Hey, let's go check out a meetup in the town next over. Uh, and and see what they have to offer. So it offers uh, a lot in the way of networking. Um, you get to meet a lot of really cool, like-minded people um, that just want to do awesome development. Um, a lot of a lot of whom are very very welcoming. What does it offer to people like me who are stricken with uh, severe social anxiety? Are there any like you know dark rooms I can go and hide in and curl up in the corner in or anything like that? Totally, Tori. Um, Tori, yeah. you need a you need like an Oculus Rift and one of those <laughs> yes. remote camera devices, so you can like just wheel yourself around to, to conferences idea. and not have to be there. <laughs> yeah, like I, I like the idea of meetups. I've wanted to go to meetups. I've I've offered to talk at meetups, and then a lot of times it gets very close to the day, and I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. What am I talking about? And if you force <laughs> me to do it, I do it, but it's very difficult to get out there. Um, so other than Xanax, I guess there's not a lot going on there for me. I got to say one... that. Oh, go ahead. I, go ahead. I was going to say that like, I, I have been to exactly one meetup ever um, because <laughs> they are, they are easily an hour each way out of the way for me because I live on Long Island. And so mm. the place that you easily find meetups is in the city. And yeah, so I went to Manhattan JS um, in awesome. December and I, I do have to say, you know, it, it, they, the thing I was going to say is that, um, at least in their case, and I presume in others, they, they really try to you know, foster a positive atmosphere, and they try to be supportive of everyone, and they try to laugh a lot. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have been to meetups or anything that do like battle decks, where they basically throw a bunch of random slides up there, and someone has to ad-lib it. It's kind of like one of those skits in Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, but yeah, it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um, I was... I was laughing pretty hard there so um it's good for comic relief too when they do stuff like that um and the, you live guess, in a great area for it too ken uh being yeah, in new york city uh, there are a lot of meetups the scene there is really active especially over the last few years and i've met a lot of the organizers of the borough meetups and they're just fantastic people yeah um, actually, I happened to be sitting next to one of the people who has done work on JSCS and I think also Babel uh, when I was awesome. there. So that was cool. <laughs> um, I guess the one thing that makes me a little um, hesitant of meetups in, in, in terms of sort of like the return on, return on investment, so to speak, when you're traveling, you know, an hour or so out of the way each way is, mm-hmm. I mean, like, Basically, the format of the one I went to was there's, you know, three talks interspersed with those battle deck things. And it's like, you know, each talk is going to be, you know, around 15 minutes or something. And it's, they're good for, like you said, you know, kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of, you know, what people are using, what's going on. But at the same time, it's, it's enough to whet your appetite, perhaps, but 
it kind of feels like not enough to really go any deeper, but I guess that's not what meetups are meant for. <laughs> well, I think that dovetails yeah, yeah, nicely I've... into conferences as well, right? Um, which is kind of another part of this is, is the conferences. And, you know, that was kind of very similar to my feeling on conferences is, you know, that while it might be great for networking, there are other ways to network. And a conference to me, you know, when you're first starting out in an industry, you go to a conference and maybe your mind gets blown on like so many talks. And then after you, you know, reach a certain threshold, you start to realize you're not really getting as much from the talks. And then it's more just about, you know, meeting people and networking. And then you're paying an admission to go and like network at a conference that has content that you don't really care that much about. Um, and it just starts to be, you know, one of those things where I started, I stopped going to conferences because it just became this thing where it's like, well, what's the point? Like, I'm not enjoying the sessions as much as I'm enjoying hanging out with people. And that's not a great justification. Yeah. And I think before, before we transition into conferences, one thing that, that might be able to help with that with, um, like this is something that we struggle with. I I also organize a a meetup, Nebraska JS. And one thing that we struggle with is trying to to keep things engaging enough and interesting to keep people coming out. We we're a bigger town, so we get maybe forty to fifty people coming out to each meetup, and it's um, it, it's tough to a line up people to talk and then keep people interested in what might be talked about because uh, we mentioned earlier that there's there's framework fatigue, you know, if every week you're going to talk about Angular or you're going to talk about React, um, and I'm sitting here not using either of those in my day job, am I going to get a lot out of that? Because you only get a little piece of, of information out of that, and then you have to go learn on your own. And it might help you if you're you're really into that. But at some point, you're just going over the same thing over and over again. And um, I think that one thing that we've tried to do is to keep things more interesting by by trying to change it up a bit every so often. So we still have the the longer talks that people will give, but we make a huge focus on community and come give us a five-minute talk on something, and it can be at any skill level, at, like completely at all. We've had uh, an eight-year-old come give a talk at a conference, actually, uh-huh. awesome. uh, all the way up to, to you know somebody who in five minutes tries to tell us about um, how they were using... Uh, how they were using JavaScript to program lights on their bike to coincide with their heart rate while they went on this night ride and all this stuff. Like, just really cool, cool stuff going back. I would due to the being no light to see. It would just be like a <laughs> tiny little flicker. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, we do, we try and do other things too, where it's we, we get completely away from the let's talk about things. Uh, to the more let's socialize we throw two parties a year that are huge parties 400 plus people come and um, we get sponsors for that so we have food and drinks and that's all pure networking have fun play video games and then we we also do things where we we try and give back a little bit we've had um, open source nights where we gave a short a very short talk on you know this is why contributing to open source uh, is important. This is how you can get started. Here's a list of projects that have very beginner-friendly uh, um, bugs that you can go fix right now. And we had, I think it was like, the first time we did that, we had like six people contribute pull requests. And they were to projects like Node and um, PDFJS and others. So there, it, it was just cool to to see that. But it's it's ways to get get more people working together instead of just listening to each other. You can actually work with somebody, um, you know, do a contest with somebody we've, we run. sounds like a great way to get our open source projects more work. We should really think about that. <laughs> Nick. Yeah. Have you presented totally. on Dojo lately? Yeah. yeah. There's some really, you <laughs> I, know, you should really give back. Um, <laughs> I did present on Dojo actually. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's been a year, but yeah. Um, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there though, Nick talking about like open source and, and I, I guess what I've come to see at least for me anyway, is that meetups for me are like open source in real life. Um, and, and you get that kind of high-minded idealism. And even if you don't see a talk that you necessarily wanted to see, um, your your opportunities to network with people go far beyond traditional networking because you're talking one-on-one with another developer. And so you can you can begin to have conversations that that dive deep into whatever it is that you might actually really want to talk about. Like making a murderer. 
<laughs> you should yes, start a meetup in Manchester, Illinois, or was it Manitowoc? What did you say? It was a Manitowoc County. Manitowoc um, County. Sorry, I, yeah. I I don't know this show. You're, never, you're missing out yet. on a cultural phenomenon. Nah. <laughs> so so I found some benefit to meetups that um, may not be in my wheelhouse. Like it might be not be JavaScript, but um, going to other ones that give you a, a window into other things like knitting like, circles. Um, like knitting circles or underwater basket weaving. Yeah. Well. Uh, dog training. and uh, Don't knock knitting you know. circles, though. There is a really sweet project that uh, one of the organizers of one of the New York City meetups, actually, uh, Mariko Kosaka, oh, yeah, yeah. did this uh, like knitting machine totally run with JavaScript, where you can like drag of and drop an did. image in of a course. web browser no, it makes that total sense. outputs that image on like a knit piece. Yeah, totally. she has a, awesome. You should I check think it there's out. A, there's, she has a site up for That's that, doesn't cool. she? Yeah. Very yeah, cool stuff. So knitting circles even with JavaScript. Knitting with JavaScript. I'm sure that's that's probably an Etsy meetup. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, Nick and I actually talked about that a while ago um, on one of the early podcasts or maybe one of the podcasts that we never aired. Um, we were talking about <laughs> that, actually. Yeah, we did. Uh, she presented at JSConf in May. So did Jacob actually. Talking about meetups. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. I, you I need to branch stuff. out. You need to branch out to a meetup that's about coming up with ideas to talk about stuff at meetups. Ooh, meta meetups. Meta meetup. I yeah. Yeah, it's five times fast. If I said any more, I'd have to kill you. See, then you'd be in the new making murderer. Only probably not because you would have just murdered <laughs> oh, me, it's, and I wouldn't be any back like, around. False accusations. <laughs> Going back to that. <laughs> This is Can't that I good. Do I have watch to watch that show? <laughs> uh, good. Mm, angering. Yeah. Crazy okay. conspiracy theorist. Yep. It's got everything, really. It's really got everything. Um, so, conferences. Yeah, I gave my little spiel already about conferences <laughs> and how I feel about them in general. Um, yeah. You know, that's just my take on it, but I, I, it's been a few years. I mean... I went to you know some South by Southwest years ago, um, and then they were much smaller then, as I understand. Then I kind of stopped going, and the last year I went, it was huge. I guess it's even bigger now. Um, but I used to go to smaller conferences too, um, and I kind of at some point realized when I was sitting in like a South by Southwest conference that I was like, wow, like there's nothing being said here that I haven't already read online or already really well understood, and I started to feel really bored and. And then I felt like it's really rude how many people sit there with like a laptop open and do other stuff while they're listening to someone give a talk because they're also bored. Um, and it just feels like, you know, maybe conferences just go safe and accept really watered down talks so that, you know, they can play to a bigger audience. Um, but, you know, I would like more, like I get more out of talking to you guys. Um, you know, I mean, obviously not everyone has that ability, right, to just like have a bunch of great developers that they can just talk to all the time about stuff. But, you know, I get way more out of it because I get challenged and I have to think really hard about what you guys are even talking about. And I get to go learn that stuff and, ex you know, and experiment with it. Um, and I feel like I get very watered down surface topics at a lot of conferences. And it, it makes me very frustrated because it feels like there could be so much more. Incidentally, yeah. I will put in one potential good word for people with laptops. They might be taking notes. I was really self-conscious about that when I was at Manhattan JS. I was like, I'm taking notes, but people probably think I'm a jerk right now. <laughs> yeah, they might be. I mean, you know, you could definitely just, like see when you're sitting and you know, behind people, you can see what they're doing, um, and so. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I, not I all think... conferences, I know, but oh god. <laughs> I, yeah, think I don't think it's... there's a good way around that. You just have to pick your conferences and, and, you know, some people, some people go for the hallway track and then other people go yeah. to like kind of expand their horizons. And, um, I, I've always disliked the conferences that, that take forever to list their topics. And I, I know there's a lot to get together. Um, but at the same time, it's really hard to plan out. Like, do you want to go to that conference if you don't know what they're talking about? I agree. But yeah, it's really hard to put that stuff together too. But I, you I agree should know Nick. <laughs> yeah, Nick's like, yeah, those terrible comp. Wait a second. No, I agree. That's hard. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I saw him. I saw him about to talk, and then he just paused for a second. It was just like, yep. <laughs> I think there's definitely something to be said about hallway. Just going to the hallway track, though, because all of the conferences I've gone to 
have put all of their videos online afterwards. And that's where I would get more out of them anyway. If I really wanted to, I'd take notes mm-hmm. watching it at home um, or trying to do, you know, play along at home. But you, you really get the opportunity to meet people and, and meet people in the community, like, uh, like Ken meeting uh, or sitting next to uh, somebody who's worked on JSCS and Babel. Like, that's really cool being able to. Yeah, but that's the difference between going yeah. to a meetup and to a conference, right? It's like, that's kind of my point. It's like, if it's just for yeah. the networking, I'd rather just go to a meetup for a few hours and network than take a week to go somewhere to go to a conference to pay to really just experience what I would experience at a meetup only with, you know, a, maybe a more diverse crowd. I don't know. Like, I guess, you know, I don't know. I'm not very chatty. So I guess I, maybe I'm just, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm the one who's just the problem here who doesn't like, you know, put myself out there enough to like get a lot from it. But, you know, I'm not really like, I don't want to hang out in the hallway and chat with people because I don't enjoy chatting with people except for you lovely audience. I think that's part of it too, Tori. Like, um, I, I felt the same way. Like I didn't, I didn't want the social anxiety about going to a conference, but I go to them to conferences and meetups to just put myself out there and like force Mm -hmm. myself out of my shell, uh, Mm -hmm. to, to be comfortable in those situations is, is more beneficial to me than the networking. It's more beneficial to me than topics that I've heard before. But going out there and and looking at somebody in the eye and saying, "Hi, I'm Paul. What do you do? Or why are you here?" It it it's a lot. And being an introvert, like you know, it it's really tiring and it takes a lot to get out. But doing it gets me out of my shell. It gives me skills. I'm getting anxiety just listening to that story. <laughs> like I'm like my heart's beating. Like I could actually be I, that bicycle right now with the the JS light bicycle with the heartbeat would be just like full on. It wouldn't be flickering right now. That's just. <laughs> too much there you go. and so you yeah start small like i don't know talk to your kids or something. no i'm not talking to the kids no, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> they learned how to talk and now they talk back <laughs> react yeah, they, or, they just... or angular son <laughs> wrong answer <laughs> <laughs> they just say no I mean, that's the first word they learn right <laughs> yes i, I think going might... to conferences oh sorry go ahead nick no, I, I was just going to say it might help to realize that a majority of the people that you would build up courage to talk to are probably building up the courage to talk to you, too. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm in high school again. <laughs> it didn't work out for me there either. Spoiler. <laughs> totally. I, I think going to conferences kind of helped me also to realize, like, I don't know, uh, as a, a newer developer, um, I, I see these large frameworks being made and like people working on them. I, I, I put them kind of on a pedestal almost, uh, and, and really look up to it and admire them. And I think to some extent that's, that's not a bad thing. However, um, like they're people too. So just to be able to get to meet, um, a lot of people that work on some very high level stuff, uh, very, very, um, it's, it's just a great opportunity. They're people too until, you know, I'm mad at their open source project on a weekend and they don't respond to me instantly and solve my problem and then they're no longer people to me. Well, then you should maybe submit a pull request. <laughs> well, it is or kind of write funny, an though. angry medium post. Or, it is kind of funny though how ma- how package maintainers um, are are, you know, without actually, you know, necessarily meeting them in the flesh and actually, you know, regarding them as a person, you know, they're, they're both more than people and less than people, depending on which side of the fence you happen to be on right now. Sure. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's another option here for all of this. And that is instead of going to conferences and meetups, start a web development company, and hire expert engineers and insulate yourself <laughs> with them. And then you can talk to them anytime <laughs> you want. Like, I really feel like this is a great strategy that more people don't take advantage of. Um, I'm just realizing how lucky I am and that maybe that's really much says much more about why I why I feel that way than it does anything else because I kind of realize a lot of the things that you guys are talking about you like getting I'm like yeah I get that already oh yeah I get it from the company that I run and um, you guys that I hired and okay never mind I'm wrong you guys are right I would this was just a devil's advocate thing I don't mean anything I said <laughs> any of it well it some was of all it from your friend it was my friend he was talking about he he, he was curious. Okay. Um, so thanks guys. Uh, this was a very crazy fun episode with lots of, 
lots of hijinks and people. Um, Neil decided to drop out last minute because he saw there was like eight people on this podcast. Um, again, about <laughs> math, but I think that's the number. Um, so anyway, thank you guys very much for, for coming out and spending the time with us today. I filled in for Neil because I also have dark hair and glasses. So It works. It works very well. Wait, you're not Neil? That wasn't Neil? Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Neil. <laughs> this is why we switched to video, just so we would know, because you can never know. Um, and thanks to listeners for listening and continue to tell your friends to listen to or go to a meetup and tell them to listen or go to a conference and have a talk where all you do is talk about our podcast and tell them to listen. Um, great marketing ideas there. I just came up with guys for promoting the podcast. So that the next meetup we do, we're going to get a lot of dojo work done and we're going to get a lot of new listeners. <laughs> all right. Thanks. I'll count to get you started. Bye. One, Bye. Two, Bye, everybody. Three, I was rolling down the window Cause I like to feel the wind blow We got a good thing Gonna see where the day goes Take it fast, take it real slow We got a good thing Good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba. We got a good.